Exodus chapter number 6, verses 2 and 3. I'm not sure what time you folks are used to being released to go home, but it's 4.30-ish. We've got five, ten minutes. My church was done having church like five hours ago, so I'm, this is new ground for me. Amen. Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 2. You promise you're going to help me? That's a promise. All right, so, like, there's a couple over here. Are you guys over here going to help me preach today? All right. You guys over here going to help me preach today? Are you guys over here? All right. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to your promises just like you hold God to his. That is a tough crowd. Oh, Jesus, help me. Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 2, it says, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah, everybody say Jehovah. I was not known to them. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God was known by very many titles and various names by which each one of those expressed a somewhat different aspect of his attributes, of his character. Each one described God of just a portion of who he was and what he was. And these titles also described in different ways which people had experienced him in their lives and could be used as adjectives or words of description that would be able that we could use today. Amen. How many have ever used the word Jehovah Jireh? How many have ever used the word Jehovah Rophi? Oh, not so much. Jehovah Nisi. Amen. So we've, we've probably heard these names, but each and every one of these were adjectives. They didn't really didn't know God's name. They really didn't have that revelation that you and I have today. And we'll get a little bit into that this morning, or this afternoon, excuse me. I'll say this morning a lot, just so you know. Amen. But... It should be noted that each and every one of these were just terms given to God by his chosen people due to the fact that he had not yet revealed his true name until later on in scripture. And what God reveals to Moses here in Exodus chapter number 6 and verses 2 and 3 was that by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they knew me by certain names. However, they were, did not know me as Jehovah. In other words, Moses, I'm going to reveal myself in a different way than your forefathers knew me. I'm going to show myself and reveal myself in the greater ways and the greater manifestations than anybody up until this point has ever known. And so he gives him the term Yahweh, which is a preferred rendering of that major Hebrew name, yod Hey, vad Hey, and yod this hey and that hey, and its meaning incorporates the idea of a God. Everybody heard of Yahweh, right? That name Yahweh has a special meaning. It means the one who makes things happen, who brings things to pass, or the absolute immutable one who keeps his promises. And whenever somebody would use that name Yahweh, it would affirm that he would meet the need that they had for that particular moment. Commonly translated as Lord or Jehovah. It was God's special revelation to Moses. Abraham didn't know it. Isaac didn't know it. Jacob didn't know it. Joseph didn't know it. Nobody else knew this name but Moses. Moses was the very first one. 
And up until this point, men from throughout all of history were trying to find out God's real name. What's his real identity? As if he was some guy dressed up in covert clothing and hiding off somewhere, not really wanting people to know who he was or really to understand who he was. But we know because of who we are, the people of the name of Jesus, who God really is. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. And because of this sacred character, nobody ever said it. Nobody ever wanted to say it because they were so afraid of using his name in vain. And without the vowels, we cannot be certain of its proper pronunciation. But in Old Testament times, it was referred to as Yehovah, Yahweh, Yod-Heh, in different forms and different types of Words And the Jews had the practice of reading Adonai or Lord instead of Yod-Heh-Vod-Heh in order to keep from using or avoid using his name in vain. The name Adonai specifically signified God's ownership over all of his creation. Usually this was invoked to be into somebody that was just walking and seeing God and all the wonderful things that he had done around him, all the things that he created and all the things that he was making around you and using this and invoke the belief that his creation, that, you know what, God created the mountains, God created the trees, God created the fish, he created the elk, he created the bears and the lions and the tigers, oh my, he created all of these wonderful things specifically for us. Amen. For our enjoyment and for our pleasure. Amen. But you understand that there are different types of names that God uses throughout the scriptures because he was wanting to reveal himself more and more and more to his man, to his wonderful presence, to the mankind. Hallelujah. Used often in the Old Testament also was the word Elohim or the name Elohim, which was used to express his greatness, his glory, his power. And his divine majesty. It is this word or name Elohim. That is in, we find in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Verses 4 through 5. When it says hear O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And with all thy soul. And with all thy might. And this is a very important subject that we need to understand here, not only as Pentecostals in this last day and age, but specifically if we're to get where God wants us to be in our relationship with Him. Okay, we have this, we have this um, identity crisis. Okay? We all do. We all go through it. And just because you may be going through it now doesn't mean you're a big fat loser and you're never going to make it. Okay, because we all go through these different periods of times, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did, just like Moses did. God is trying to reveal himself to you in other ways than what you know him now. He is wanting to take your relationship with him to a deeper level. As much as I would like to think that, you know what, if God came right now, I would be everything that he wants me to be. I am not satisfied with everything that he wants me to be. I'm not satisfied with everything that he wants to bless me with. Who likes that song, I've got the Holy Ghost down in my soul? You guys like that song? Just like the Bible said. I hate that song. And here's why. Hate's a strong word, I understand. We don't use that a whole lot in this politically correct society that we live in. But a portion of that scripture says, 
And I've been to the water and I've been baptized. My soul got happy and I'm satisfied. Too often we get to the point in our relationship with God where we're just satisfied. Now take it from somebody who used to be a junkie. I was never satisfied with where I was at. Physically, mentally, spiritually, I was never satisfied where I was at. Especially if I had came down from a high... I wanted to get right back up. And I would do anything I could within my power and sometimes outside of the power that I felt I had. I would do whatever I had to do to get satisfied. Okay? And so I've kind of taken that context in my past and use it into my walk with God now. Because you know what? No matter how much Holy Ghost I get, Maurice, I want more. I don't care if you're going to worship or not. I want more of Him. I don't care what your aspect or what your outlook is on God. I want more of Him. And church, we have to understand something here. God wants us to have more of Him. It hurt God more than anybody for Adam and Eve to leave the Garden of Eden. Because they knew exactly what God was. They knew exactly who He was. They were the only people that had ever seen Him. They had an intimate relationship with Him that mankind has strived to have ever since and has failed. We've fallen short. The closest we ever get to being in that type of relationship with God is when we are continually filled with His Spirit and we're overflowing and overflowing with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. However, we get to work on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or the bills start calling and this guy starts saying that and this starts happening and that starts happening. And then where do we find ourselves at? Huh? Oh, I need to meet some Jesus right now. Huh? Man, I need to go find a prayer. I need to find the Holy Ghost right now. Because we're surrounded by sin and we're surrounded by all this garbage and all this junk in our life. And the only thing that's going to help us, the only thing that's really going to truly satisfy this longing in our heart is Him and His Spirit. And this is nothing new. There's nothing new about this. Because ever since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, this has been the whole struggle of man. Trying to get to that point of intimacy with God that God wants us to have with Him. And just because you find yourself on a Sunday afternoon sitting at Living Waters Fellowship doesn't necessarily mean you were there. Amen? Are you satisfied? I'm not. That was a great move of God we had during worship. I'm not satisfied. We had family conference this week, and it was awesome, but I'm not satisfied. You know what? Every single one of us could overflow with the Holy Ghost. And you know what? Two hours from now, we'd still be like, man, that was great. I want some more of that. Why? It feels great, doesn't it? It feels awesome, huh? You forget about that situation that you faced on your way to work or your way to church or all the bills that are piling up or even the dishes that are stacked in the dishwasher. Folks, there's a whole lot of things in life that come at us that distract us from getting into that place with God that He wants us to be. They are. It could be not only your finances, it could be your job, it could be your wife, it could definitely be your kids. I love you guys. 
Amen. But there are so many things that the adversary would like to use to trip us up and to keep us from knowing and understanding who God is and getting into that level of intimacy with him. But the Lord would like to be able to use those things that the adversary is trying to use to show up and show out exactly who he is. Amen. How would you know if God is a healer unless you got sick? How would you know if God was your way maker unless you were lost? How would you know that he is your provider unless you've never had an empty cupboard here or there? And so we can see here in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, 4 and 5. The Elohim, that God is not just showing us who he is. It's not just another word to describe him, but it's a level of intimacy that he desires to have with us. Amen? And he says, the Lord our God is one Lord. In order to have a relationship with you, you've got to know who he is. Right? And let me tell you this, folks. God is not interested in any one-night stands. He's not interested in affairs. We are his bride. He loves you. He desires you. He wants to hold you and love you and caress you and be intimate with you. He really does. It doesn't matter where you were at or where you have been or where you think you're going. He wants to love you and he wants you to know how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. While we were yet sinners... So we learn in Deuteronomy chapter number 6 here that he is to be the sole object of all of our adoration and worship. The one and only one to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. The perfections of God and his nature must astonish everyone that contemplates or thinks about them and fill with horror all those who rebel against him. Consequently, he must be worshipped with reverence and religious fear. Every sincere worshiper can come to expect help in all of your weaknesses. Every single one of them. That's what he's saying here. Every sincere worshiper can come to expect God when you call on his name for him to rescue you. Because you have that type of relationship with him that he hears your voice and he knows your voice. He can hear your voice in the middle of the night or the middle of the day and know, hey, that's Michael Tucker. I'm going to go down and I'm going to speak with him right now. You know what? I can hear Maurice calling my name. I can hear Dallas calling my name. And I'm sorry, I don't know all your names, but I know that God desires to have a level of relationship with you to when you call on his name, he knows exactly where you were at and what you were doing what you were going through and hey he's not just going to come by himself and say what do you want he's going to come down and say okay I've got you I've got your back I'm going to rescue you what else do you need what else can I give you I can remember my grandpa singing that song when I was single my pockets would jingle 
And I can remember him, you know, we'd run up to Grandpa. He was a little short little guy. We would run up to him. He's like, I don't know if I got anything. And he'd, he'd pull out his tin of tobacco and lay it on the counter. And he'd pull out his watch and lay that on the counter. He'd pull out another tin of tobacco and lay it on the counter. And finally, he'd find a nickel. He'd lay that on the counter. And then he'd find a penny. And then he'd say, here you go. See, a lot of times we don't get what we're asking for from God because really we're not learning what he's wanting us to learn. Okay? And just like Grandpa would lay everything out from his pockets, a lot of junk, useless stuff that I would never need or even ask for. The scripture tells me that he knows my needs before I even ask. And he knows exactly what I'm going through. He knows exactly what you are going through. Pastor Brock may not. Sister Brock may not. Pastor Tucker won't know. And I tell my people, you know what, when they call me, Brother Tucker, I need this, I need that. I'm like, well, have you prayed about it? Oh. <coughs> the government is not your provider. The church is not your provider. He is your provider. He is everything that you need him to be. Everything. I'm going way off my notes. I'm sorry, Brother Dallas. Man. And so he reiterates himself to the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4. He's basically reiterating to her Deuteronomy chapter 6. That God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father, What? Seeketh such to worship him. He's looking for somebody that's wanting to love him with all of their heart. He's looking for somebody that wants to know more about him. That wants to know everything about him. That is not satisfied with where they are at in the relationship with him. No matter how holy and how awesome and righteous we think they are. Or you think you are. I cannot afford to be satisfied. I cannot afford to be... You know what? I had a really, really, really awesome week at youth camp or youth congress or family conference and all these wonderful things. And I'm just going to sit here in a corner and watch everybody else have a good time in the Lord for a while. You can't afford to sit back on your laurels. You know why? Because the devil is seeking like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And if he's seen somebody sitting down and being lazy... Who do lions go after? They go after the weak ones, don't they? They go after the ones that aren't standing up, that aren't willing to run the aisles, that aren't willing to give God all their effort, to give God all their heart. I realize I'm going all over the map right now, but I really feel that God has got a direction that he wants to take you this morning. I said it again. Folks, don't be satisfied with just sitting on a pew being average, ordinary Joe Christian or Jane Christian. There's a reason you are here, and I believe that reason is because you want to know more about him. And believe me, you want to know more about him, but he wants you to know more about him, more than you want to know more about him. I should write a kid's book, huh? But that word Jehovah, 
in the Old Testament. You want to know how many times it is written just in the Old Testament? I'm going to ask you to count them really quick. It was used over 6,823 times. And it embraced the concept of the God who is self-existent. A God that was self-sustaining. A God who possessed essential life. Jehovah also invoked the magnificent power by which God became known. And God had not shown this part of himself to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Adam, to Eve, to Cain, to Abel, to everyone up until this point, even Noah. And all the power that you imagine that Noah saw. All the wonderful things that all these people up until this point had seen. But yet that was just scratching the surface of how awesome God really was and is. That's why he told Moses, hey, I wasn't known to them by this. But I'm going to show myself to you this way. There are some of you that are in really deep relationships with God. That you look up to certain people in your walk with God. But you know what? Don't be satisfied until you get to that point to where they are at. You need to ask yourself, where does God want me to be? I want to get to the level in my relationship of intimacy with him to where he wants me to be. And Jehovah was used over 6,823 times, but it was never used in the New Testament. Was that a coincidence? Jehovah was generally understood to mean he who is or he who will be. When God himself spoke, the name became I am or I will be. When God himself speaks, he says that. And he told Moses even that. When Moses asked him, well, who should I say sent me? Just tell him I am. That's all you need to know. Combined with other terms, Jehovah brought about a more deeper, fuller understanding of what and who God was and is. In Genesis chapter 22, he was known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He was also known as the Jehovah Rophe, the Lord who heals. To Gideon, he was known as Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Kadesh, the Lord my sanctifier. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace or will send peace. He was also known as Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. To David, he was known as Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. Ezekiel, he was known as Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. These terms didn't fully express his deity, but were just mere descriptions of who he is and who he is to his people. And it's very important for us to know that without that term Jehovah preceding each and every one of these names, they were just adjectives. They were nothing. However, when you put all of this with Jehovah in the beginning, these words take on a whole different meaning of personal importance. To us as individuals. And we can and we often do experience God in these ways even now today. He is our provider. He is our healer. He is our banner of victory. He is the one who sanctifies. He is our prince of peace. He is our righteousness. He is our shepherd. He is the one who is and forever will be there. In Psalms 83 and even in Isaiah chapter 14, he was known as El Elyon, which is an Old Testament name used for God, which expressed the fact that God should be exalted above everything. 
It means high, as in the highest. And it was only used twice in all of Scripture. Elohim was used often in the Old Testament and it expressed his greatness, his glory, his power, his divine majesty. And I'm getting somewhere, folks. Please hold on. The roller coaster is going up the hill right now. It expressed God as the creator of all the universe and it generally was used in the plurality of his majesty. So God is not just majestic a little bit, Abby. He's majestic a whole lot. That's why I believe when Isaiah saw him, he said, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He couldn't fully describe everything that he was seeing. All the glory and all the power and all the majesty that he saw. No wonder God chooses tongues for us to express in our praise and our worship how wonderful he is. Because our finite minds and our languages can't fully describe it. <laughs> and we learned that Elohim denoted that he should be the sole object of our adoration. But it was also interesting because it was also used to apply to false gods and to angels and even to judges and kings. But when it was El Elohim, it was always in reference to God. There's nobody higher than him. There's nobody more powerful than him. There's nobody that's more righteous than him. There's nobody that compares to him. And church, can I share something with you? This is something I've learned about people and about God. As doctors, they always want to deal with the symptoms, don't they? They don't ever get to the root of the problem. But with God, now see, I can get a headache and I can take an aspirin and my headache could be gone. But my sinus problem is still there. I have really bad allergies. And the Sudafed, it doesn't deal with my allergies. It just dries out my sinuses and my allergies are still there. I hate them. I use that H word again. I really do hate my allergies though. They really can't get at the root cause of the problem with diabetes or cancer or HIV or any of these diseases. But God, when he tells us to pray, he speaks against the disease. He comes against the disease. He comes against the paralysis. He comes against everything. Why? Because he, we, he doesn't deal with symptoms. God is the solution. He's the answer. Amen. And dealing with the symptoms isn't the solution to the problem. It's just covering up the problem. That's why coming to church isn't just enough. You're just covering up the problem. It's when you get to the altar and you deal with the issue. You repent of your sins and you turn from your sins and God refills you or fills you up to the spirit. Folks, you've you got to understand something here. I know what it's like to sit in AA and I know what it's like to sit in NA and I know what it's like to sit through counseling sessions and this and that and the other where they try to get me to acknowledge that there is a higher power. And I was sitting there in my the state I was in and I'm like, higher power? There is no higher power but him. 
And I was stoned out of my mind and I knew that. How did they not know that? Why? Because just acknowledging that there's somebody out there isn't getting to the problem. I have to draw myself to him and he will draw myself to me. I have to get closer to him and he will get closer to me. If I want God to deal with my situation, I don't tell him to deal with everybody else around me. Although I think they're at fault. They may be part of the problem, but you know what? I'm just as big a part of the problem as they are. I need God to deal with me. I can't ask God to heal me of my diabetes or my neuropathy and expect him to do it. And he does it. And then I go and eat a box full of ho-hos and bonbons. And I wash it down with a two liter of Coke. I can't expect God to forgive me of my sins and then go out and do them all over again. The book of Romans touches on that, doesn't it? I can't expect for God to deal with my issues or deal with me and draw me into a level of intimacy if I don't go towards him first. If I don't make the effort first to get into that relationship. And church, God wants us to understand and to know exactly who he is. And you may be going through something right now because he wants you to know, I will provide. I will heal. I will restore. I will rejuvenate you. I will bring you salvation. I will bring you the miracle. And first, we've got to acknowledge and understand who he is. We've got to know it. Hey, there's so much more to this than just coming to church. Hmm. All right, I'm almost done. Somebody said amen. I thought I'd get more amens out of that. I honestly did. <coughs> he was also known as El Shaddai. Has anybody heard that name before? <coughs> El Shaddai indicated that all of his might and all of his power was sufficient. It was more than enough. He shall supply all my needs. He is my El Shaddai. Right? He always looks out for me. And this is used in the book of Job as a general term or a name for God. As El Shaddai to Job, God disciplined. He was to be feared. He was just. He heard his prayers and he created. But throughout all the Old Testament scriptures, even after the fall of man and the Garden of Eden and since the reign of King David, there were prophecies, words brought forth that there would be one that would be sent from God to save his people. And for hundreds, even thousands of years, God's chosen people, the Israelites, looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. First, we need to understand that that referred to somebody who was anointed, symbolized the reception, and it symbolizes to us the infilling of the Holy Spirit and enabled that individual who had that anointing to do a specific task. Okay? The Greek firm of the word is Christos. The English equivalent is what? The Jews envisioned a future ideal king who would come with the anointing to deliver them from all of their oppressors. 
that would deliver them from the Roman tyranny and save them and be their rescuer. He would put on his blue cape and his big yellow and red J on the back and he would rescue them and fly through the air and jump over buildings in a single bound. He was going to do all this stuff for the Jews. Under Roman tyranny, the hopes of a Messiah were rampant, especially at the time of Jesus' birth. And the disciples of John the Baptist even asked Jesus, are you the one that we're looking for or should we be looking for another? They wanted to know who was going to rescue them. In actuality, there were two kinds of Messiah that came to be expected. And first, there was that national political figure or ruler that would rule over them and drive out all their oppressors. And then on the other hand, they really what they really wanted and what they longed for was a Messiah from heaven who would be part man and part God and who would establish the kingdom of God forever on the earth. And this is what Isaiah talked about in Isaiah number 9 and verse 6 when he said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the Lord... He also told of the coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 12. And he said, In that day, thou Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all of the earth. And I don't know if Isaiah really understood what he was writing or not. As the Holy Ghost began to inspire him to write this prophecy down. But when you look and you dive into these words and the words that he would have actually been writing there, the Hebrew word for salvation is the term Yeshua. And if you were to ask a Hebrew person even to this day how to say Jesus in the Hebrew tongue, how would they say it? They would say Yeshua. And under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I believe Isaiah was telling the nation of Israel, who their Messiah was going to be and exactly what his name was. <laughs> Behold, God is my Jesus. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my Jesus. Therefore, with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of Jesus. And in that day shall you say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted, sing unto the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all of the earth. And it's not until we hear that name once again in Matthew chapter number 1 and verse 20, when Gabriel comes down to Mary and he comes down to Joseph. And he says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
Church, we need to know and understand fully what it is that happens when we call on the name of Jesus. When we proclaim that we are people of the name of Jesus. When we baptize in the name of Jesus. When we lay hands on the sick and we say in the name of Jesus. Or when we actually are going through a hard time and we just say, Jesus. The name Jesus is the name above every name. It is the name that Moses desired to know. It is the name that Adam desired to know. It is the name that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob longed to know. It is the name that the entire Hebrew nation for thousands of years, and even some to this day, desire to know. What is the name of God? What is his true identity? What it is, what is it exactly that he can be for me? What is it exactly that he desires? to do in my life? What is it exactly that Almighty God desires in me? And what is it that I really desire in Him? And can He be all of those things? Church, let me explain to you something. He is absolute. He is absolutely perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He's loving. He's kind. He's friendly. He's helpful. He's your protector. He cares for you. He's sharing. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's compassionate, he's forgiving, he's empowering, he's discerning, he's overwhelming, consuming, cleansing, healing, delivering, restoring, he's moving, he's constantly creating and destroying, he's smiting, he's fulfilling, he's distinctive, he's comforting, he's providing, he's teaching, he's training, he's purifying, he's freeing, he's liberating, he's preserving, he's consigning, he's reproving, he's addressing, he's confining, he's courageous, he's victorious. You can give him all the credit that he deserves. He's historical. He's proven. He's incorruptible. He's unfailable. He's infallible. He's trustworthy. He will be your protector. He's immune to everything. He's responsive. He's privileged. He's honorable. He's to be honored. He's legitimate. He's reliable. He's more than good. He's good all the time. He's reputable. He's to be celebrated. He's to be praised. He's to be glorified. He's to be worshipped. He's famous. He's renowned. He's loved. He's served. He's sought. He's needed. He's required. He's requested. He's beautiful. He's living. He's breathing. He's alive. He's active. He's amazing. He's inspiring. He's creative. He's abundant. He's rich. He's adequate. He's decent. He's modest. He's pure. He's real. He's moral and wholesome. He's safe. He's beneficial. Oh, and he's excellent. His power is imminent. He's prominent. He's remarkable. He's extraordinary. He's supernatural. He's miraculous. He's astounding. Jesus is his proper name. And Christ, or Messiah, is the position that he holds. And whatever, whatever it is that you need from God, you can get it when you call on the name of Jesus. from drugs oh he's better than a counselor you need a doctor he's better than the greatest surgeon's Mayo Clinic ever trained 
you need a psychiatrist, take all your problems to him. He won't tell you how to get rid of them. He'll get rid of them for you. And church, just like I said, and Paul said earlier, I came not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but demonstration. to demonstrate to you that yeah I can put your family back together he wants to demonstrate to you that yeah I can get rid of that cancer I can heal that diabetes he wants you to know that no matter what sins you have committed he's more than able to forgive them psalmist said he cast them as far as the east is from the west another writer said he'll cast them into the depths of the sea they still haven't found the bottom of the Mariana Trench I know my sins are down there somewhere even the ones I did today or yesterday but he wasn't going to just take them from me name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and that same God that called Moses to a higher level than Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that same God that caused David to kill the giant that same God that stilled the lions as Daniel was standing in the middle of them and laying on top of them like they were his pets same God that was in the middle of the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's that same Jesus that called Lazarus from the dead. And just like he called Lazarus, he's calling some of you. You've been dead and you've been asleep for far too long. we got to understand the power of Jesus. He had to say Lazarus' name or else when he spoke that entire cemetery would have got up and in fact when he died he went down to the depths of hell and he took the keys to death hell and the grave and snatched them from the adversary and then dead people started walking around getting up out of their graves he's got that much power no sin can keep him down no grave can hold him down nothing you've ever done or said or will do will be more powerful than him no sickness you will ever have inside of your mortal body will be greater than him even if he doesn't heal you he's still greater and maybe that disease is his way of bringing you closer to him
Maybe cancer's his way of saying, I can't wait for them to be with me. We don't know his ways. We don't know his thoughts. We don't know why he chooses to do some things and some things he chooses not to do. But I know that my God is greater. My God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. And so we're going to do what we do at Liberty Pentecostals of Grants Pass. I'm not going to invite you to come up here because I know some of you will stay in your pews. We're going to ask that everybody just comes on up because we want you to take full advantage of the opportunity that's available to you. And God doesn't want you to miss out. And I'm convinced that this church doesn't want you to miss out. If you need the Holy Ghost, you can have it. If you need to have your sins washed away, hey, here is water. What doth hinder you? If you need healing in your body, hey, he's a healer. Let's all make our way up to the front right now. My wife's going to sing.